Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. We'll be in Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4. We the people, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. Wow, you guys knew that. You, yes. This is nationalistic fervor called America. Our Constitution, the preamble. There was a ton of people that came here when this was written were like, yes, we can have liberty. We can have unity. We can have the blessings of liberty to our posterity for the United States of America. Yet, it was just a couple decades before my mother-in-law was born that women got the right to vote. 132 years later, And we just got done doing that voting thing. And we're outnumbered with ladies in here, what, four to two. And to say, hey, y'all, you can't vote would have been like really wouldn't have gone over well. Yet when you look at we the people with a nationalistic fervor, they're like, whoo. And even the women are like, yeah. But it took 132 years later to get the 19th Amendment. Are the expectations of a great country were blossoming, but yet things had yet to come together to make it so even women could vote. So this morning we look at, hey, we have to realign our expectations to God's expectations. Because we all have great expectations for Christmas, don't we? And the kids were super excited. Uh, Miss Deb didn't get within five feet of the front of the church building. The kids were chasing them presents. But how many of us, with the idea of somebody being in town, or how's about this? The family gets along. Yeah. Because we have family coming to town, and that's always like, whoo, yeah. It'd be easier to get uh, a blower for a Hemi. But let me set the context for where we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. So Luke chapter 1. Zechariah, if you remember, has given the prophecy about his son John the Baptist and what John the Baptist would say about Jesus. And especially as we noted last week that this was the convergence of, hey, Jesus is going to be the offspring of Eve and the offspring of David because The horn of salvation for us will be in the house of his servant, David. That was big news. Remember we went from Luke 2. Everybody likes to start in Luke 2 for the Christmas. And so we went back to Luke 1. So Luke 2 is actually Jesus' birth, his early years, and growing up in Nazareth. Luke 2.40 says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And favor of God was upon him. So we move to the first couple, 22 verses of Luke 3. John the Baptist proclaims this Jesus guy. And when he baptizes him, the Trinity comes together. And God the Father says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. 
in the end of that chapter, Luke does this crazy thing. He goes into the genealogy of Jesus. And guess who's there? Abraham to David. The promise of the head crusher king from last week that was set on his eternal throne. So you got Luke chapter 1. Hey, Zechariah gives his promise. Hey, there's a king coming through this line. Then you got Jesus getting born. You got God showing up and saying, hey, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Luke chapter 8, the end of chapter 3 is this genealogy again. We're back to the boring stuff, except if you're a Jew. Whoa, this Messiah is it. This is it. Then Luke chapter 4 starts with Satan tempting Jesus. Takes him out into the wilderness and he tempts him. And we love this story because Jesus wins. But what's the first temptation Satan gives Jesus? Takes him up and shows him all the worlds in a moment of time. What's he show him? All the kingdoms. If you worship me right now, I'll give it to you. What's Satan trying to do? Hey, John, Luke has given this picture of the king has come, the Messiah has come, and he will be this king through the line of David. So the first temptation out of the, out of the gates is what? I'll let you be king right now. Never mind the whole what you got planned. But if you want to shortcut the process, here you go. And Jesus doesn't fall, fall for it. So now we're in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Do you see where we're at? Luke, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, is about what? The head crusher king's showing up. Woo-hoo! Woo! He's born. We've got, like, the Magi come and all, you know, we got the genealogies in there. We got all these things connecting. So we move to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Start with me in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So we're in our early stages of Jesus' ministry. He is pagan the popularity charts. And he comes back home to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Per his usual, Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, but this time he stands up and reads Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. Stop there for a second. This is like somebody standing up in America and saying, we the people. Ripe with nationalistic fervor. It identifies you with America and you even know the preamble. We read Psalm 61, we read Isaiah 61, well, Pastor Ryan did, and then everybody go, wow, I recognize that. Then we went like, eh, it's another something from Isaiah. No, for a Jew, this is like reading the preamble. Our king is coming. 
Our king is coming. There's mighty expectations in Isaiah. It's all about the Lord's favor and the coming kingdom building Messiah. But Jesus stops reading at a comma. It's like he said, we the people in order to build a perfect, I'm done. Jesus gets up and reads, reads the part. If you look in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it's in. He stops at a comma. Whoever gets up and quotes something and stops at a comma, you'd be getting, you'd get kicked out of public reading class for that. He stops at the comma. Because he does not say the next words after the comma are, and the day of the vengeance of our God. It's not a day of reckoning yet. Everybody's watching. All eyes are fixed upon him. And Jesus sits down. That would be, as a rabbi would read, then they would sit down then to teach. He didn't sit down in the back row and go, oh, I'm done. So he sat down. And everybody's staring at him. And he says, today, this has been fulfilled. Jesus' approval rating spikes. Verse 22. And yet some say, is this Joseph's son? Okay, so if you have been waiting on this to happen, you've been taught this, Isaiah 61, we're going to go into the context of Isaiah 61 here briefly, but just remember what they thought of when they read that, when that was read aloud, and Jesus boldly says, today this has been fulfilled. What were their reasonable expectations let me set Isaiah 61 in its context and trust me to take you through this. Isaiah 59, 14 through 20. I'll take you through the context of Isaiah 61. Isaiah 59, 14 through 20. This is where the Lord Redeemer comes to rescue His people. The Lord Redeemer comes to repay all the enemy according to their deeds. He's dispensing justice with his wrath towards his adversaries. Isaiah 60, the verse 3 verses, All the nations will come to see God, the Almighty's light shining in Israel. 4 through 7 of Isaiah 60, Everyone gathers. There's a picture of the women carrying the kids on their hip just to see what God had done in Israel. And the people coming to worship in the Israel bring, guess what, golden frankincense. Isaiah 6, 8 through 9, God's name or his reputation is declared and all the work that he has done in Israel, which attracts the nations to Israel, and they bring silver and gold. Verse 10 through 18, foreign kings come with tributes to do the hard work of building up Israel's walls. Not only do they have to not defend themselves, but the foreign kings who used to be combatant will come and build it for them. And the city gates will never be shut because they're continuously at peace and welcoming kings and national dignitaries. There's perpetual peace with those who are once combatant will come now and bow down. Isaiah 60, 19 through 20, the sun will be no more needed in Israel because God will be their light. Ring a bell? Is there any light bell in the new heaven and new light bill in the new heaven and new earth? DPN, well, we had DPN up north. Florida Power and Light. Who's the light company in heaven? Where does it come from? 
Jesus himself. Whoa, this is here in Isaiah too. This is the context which Jesus was reading from. The sun will be no more, nor the moon will shed its light, for the Lord himself will be their everlasting light. Look at the context. Psalm 61, set, or Isaiah 61, set in its context, is all about a mighty, ruling, rescuing king. And it's such a rule that the other, companies, other countries cannot wait to come and see this king and bring tributes. Now move back with me to Luke. Jesus reads Psalm 6, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening up the prison to those who are bound to proclaim year of the Lord's favor. Period, right? The rest of the comma. In the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Do you see how significant it was for him to stop at that comma? Because everybody else in the rest of their head kept right on a rolling. Here's a 30-year-old Jew sitting down and having just read this, he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled. Now with all this information, can you see how they went, isn't that Joe's kid? Joe's kid is fulfilling Isaiah 61. nuts. Jesus explains his expectations. Move with me to Luke 4, verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. But we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Seraphath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed. Only Naam and the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. How many of you just, like, I done reading that, were like, Jesus, how in the world did you explain the comma stop and Isaiah 61 with that? You're like, did you, did Luke, did you miss some manuscript and you erased too much and you backspaced in the word processor when you wrote this? Jesus is explaining to them his expectations. He says, hey, all of you have heard of the miraculous work I did in Capernaum. You'll surely quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself, which is saying, hey, you healed all these people down there. Why don't you do some of that cool stuff up here? We're from Nazareth. We've heard of the cool stuff you're doing down there. Why don't you do that here? Jesus responds, hey, let me give you two illustrations where the prophets did that. You assume that I'm supposed to fulfill this king role. Let me step into the role of prophet here for a second and tell you what's going to happen. And so what he does is he gives them two illustrations, Elijah and the widow of Sidon. Now, without going into geography, 
Nobody here really cares where Sidon is, really. But let me tell you this, it's not Israel. Elijah, everybody's heard Elijah and Elisha, right? The cool people, they're like the coolest prophets of old and they did that really cool stuff. They love these two guys. One of them didn't really even die. He's going to come back. It's big time news to talk about these two because these are Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Just put it that way. For them, nationalistic fervor is built on these two likewise because one's coming back. Okay, so Jesus says, okay, let me go to that nationalistic fervor. And what did Elijah do? Hey, there were a ton of you. They were in the middle of this drought and there was a huge famine. And guess who Elijah went to? None of you. There was tons of poor ladies who couldn't eat. There were tons of widows in Israel. Elijah didn't go to any of them, but he went to an outsider. He went to a foreigner and did work there. What? Okay, then move to the second illustration. Elisha and the leper of Syria. Without going into a lot of geography, Syria is definitively not Israel. We know that on the news today. Wait a second, Jesus. You're talking to us about this is being fulfilled, and you're bringing up two illustrations of what? Israel, you got it wrong. I, as God, reserve the right to go to whomever I can. You're right. This is prophesied for you, but God doesn't always work the way you expect it. And for us non-Israelites sitting here today, we can say, amen. So he's talked about Elijah and Elisha who went to people outside of Israel. Jesus then is saying something about their nationalistic fervor, but he's also being incredibly specific about what is said in Isaiah 61, verse one and a half. The Spirit is upon me. When did that happen? Luke, or John does this baptism thing, the Trinity comes together, Spirit anoints him. The Father has anointed me to do this job. He has sent me on a mission. Remember last week when Jesus calls to Adam and Eve and says, Where are you? Then to Eve, he said, What did you do? He's on that mission to reconcile for what happened. He's on a mission. Jesus is bringing good news to the poor. Good news is always the gospel. The word gospel literally means the good news. What is the good news that we get to share? You can have a reconciled relationship with Jesus, and Jesus, by the way, is going to come back and make all things new. Jesus is sent to bind up the brokenhearted. If there is one thing that breaks our heart, it's sin. We see it in our families. We see it in our own lives. We see it on the news, and it hurts, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, or it's stress. Things aren't right. Things aren't the way God designed them to be. Jesus is sent on this mission to bring good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted. That's a cool Messiah, isn't it?
his conclusion is, is, I'm here to meet the unknown expectations of the Gentiles and bring good news to them. It's not all about you, Israel, at this point. I got to do this part of Isaiah 61 first. And I'm going to stop at the comma. I am your king, but you can't expect that rain right now. That will come. That's why today's great expectation you notice, even all of our singing is about the great expectations of Christmas that isn't here yet. All glory to be Christ our King. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, we sang that, we know that song, right? What's the tense of that verse? Shall come and ransom Israel. Well, we're singing Christmas songs about the future. Connect those dots. It is our great expectation. Yes, he came, he died, he resurrected, and he's promised to come back. So the result of this information to the Jews is what? Happy people? No, you don't meet our expectation. That's actually a picture of a mob. We're going to run you out of town. The people are filled with wrath. How dare you not meet our expectations? Is it reasonable that they have these expectations? I went through that. Was, of course it was. For a Jew until Jesus got here. Hey, Jesus is coming. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to fulfill the promise to David. And boom, we're going to have this kingdom. Not only going to have a kingdom, we're going to have a really, really cool kingdom. But there's a comma. We the people. What we expect from our constitution is heavily ingrained with nationalistic pride. How dare somebody not stand up for the national anthem in a football game? Even Frank shook his head. We get, let me choose my words, fired up. Do you see why a Jew would be so fired up where Jesus said, hey, I fulfill this, but I'm, not going, I'm going to stop at the comma? How dare you not fulfill everything that's in there? We've been banking on that. The Romans are all over our necks. And you promised, God, you promised a whole bunch of Scripture that this would happen. How dare you change the game plan around 2,000 years ago? Let me stop making fun of them and make fun of us for a second. How dare you, God, not meet my expectations for what life is happening right now? I gave my life to you. I said I would follow to you, and it's not coming through. How dare you put a comma? Follow me. Okay, as long as it's good. Or okay, as long as it doesn't cost me my health. Or okay, as long as my expectations are met. For God and for Israel, the prophecy of a someday coming king that will kick everybody's hind end and rescue Israel and set up his nation will happen. It's all through here. Netanyahu is not that king. He, he's really good at his speeches. But I don't see Putin showing up at his doorstep with gold and frankincense saying, You're cool. 
If you want to know the end of the story, it's right there in Revelation. It's kind of crazy and jacked up, but the story is all right there. And how does it end? Jesus wins. He comes back as the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. That's our great expectation. And how will things go until that time gets here? We called seven and a half, seven years of tribulation. It is not fun, but it's to woo the bride of Israel back to her coming king. And when he comes, they go, there he is, and we pierced him once. It's also said in the prophecy of Zechariah. What are you expecting from God this morning? What is it that he hasn't met your expectations, that he threw a comma in there? And now as you progress through walking out what faith looks like, what does that mean? Realigning your expectations to what God's is. Because he's got this thing where his plan is and our plan, which we give verbal assent to. We like God being in charge and not us until we are let down. This has been the hardest sermon I've ever preached. Because I've tried to repent until the moment we, I got up to preach. God has broken my heart. I wanted to plant a church and build a church and do right what he wanted me to do. So I get here. And we're three years in, and there's four beautiful faces. And I'm incredibly thankful for you guys. Thankful for my wife moving. Joan, for you staying. And Michael and Jesse working your hinds in off. They're raising 500 kids and doing a full-time job and still getting this lyric, but doing what they're doing. But God, how dare you throw a comma in the plan? Because I have expectations. We're raised as Americans. If we do the hard work, you go to school and you put your money in the Coke machine, you get a degree out that says, I can do this. Or baby boomers raised us Generation Xers say, if you work hard enough, you'll succeed. But what's God's plan? So as I've worked through this sermon, it has been so hard to apply this. I have to faithfully give you what the text says. Meanwhile, my heart's broken over it. Because if the pastor doesn't apply the text, why should you? What expectations do you have for someone here? Are there expectations that are reasonable? Have you put them on somebody? Are they God's expectations on how you should interact with that person? There's a world of difference. Have you eagerly sought out to communicate those expectations? It's one thing to get upset because, say, Frank and I make an appointment to have lunch. And Frank and I, or I don't show. So I'm mad for two and a half years over it. That's foolish. Frank is the easiest guy to reconcile with because you call him and you say, Hey, Frank, I messed up. He's like, All right, you dork. Don't sin and say, hey, I had expectations for somebody and I never communicated them. Maybe they didn't even know it. Maybe they're unrealistic. And maybe you can say, hey, I was pretty much full for thinking this of you. 
But as we ask the church to do church together and you do it with one another as a family, it's like reunions. There's going to be awkwardness. God brings together people into his body that we have to learn to get along with. And there's some unique, powerful, strong personalities here. I thank God for that. But sometimes I tap dancing on landmines and know whether you know you got up somebody upset. But thankfully, we choose to seek immediate reconciliation. Hey, Frank, I'm sorry I missed the appointment. All right. Because Frank will go here. What expectations does Jesus have for you here? Now to flip it around. Because we can have sinful ones, we can have crazy ones, we can have unmet ones, we can have reasonable ones. But Jesus has set his out pretty clear. What does Jesus expect of us to do as a church body together here at Grace Church of Ocala? Have you eagerly sought him to find out what they are? Because each one of us is gifted incredibly uniquely. What do you expect Jesus to accomplish through you this week? Because the cool thing about it is, if we know that God expects us to do, to be, to interact with him and one another, he's not leaving us in the dark on what those details are. It's not a a passive, aggressive, where I expect things from you and I never communicate them. God's pretty clear about that. And if you pray to him and say, hey, Jesus, what do you expect me to do in my week this week? What does Jesus expect you to do in your community this week? Where you live, your neighbors, and how are you going to apply what we're getting ready to read? Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.